Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here uh, on uh, Wednesday, June 24th. A stormy night tonight. I hope this isn't the, this isn't a, you know, foreshadowing an of omen. any kind. It's, yeah, an omen. Thank you. But um, we're here with you uh, tonight. We, we got a bunch of that stuff that we want to talk to you about. And, but we, we have, uh, well... Here we are in the middle of more COVID-19 stuff, which we'll get to a little bit later on uh, who's having to do with that. But uh, um, Eric and Eric and Brian, I feel like, uh, should we all just shelter in place again? Like, I mean, is that what we're, is that what we're all going to do you guys, now? What are, you, what are you guys talking about? I've been sheltered since March, so speak for yourselves. Right. I, don't, I, couldn't t- I don't know what nightlife looks like anymore, Murph. <laughs> the days That's all true. run together. <laughs> yeah. Eric. Eric has 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 held firm to shelter in place. Yeah, um, but listen, I mean, Eric, listen, you're a. You know, I, I want to applaud you for being a model citizen. By the way, you are you are you are doing your part. Sure. Unfortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's not more of me. Otherwise, uh, you know, things would be better. But uh, heck, like Murph said, I don't even know what days or hours. Heck, we're doing interviews late night, aren't we, Murph? Uh, we're we're spanning the globe. Wow, we're uh, t- try and making the most of what we can, aren't we, Murph? Uh, we're doing it. We are definitely doing that. I do want to point out that I think someone should should highlight Eric Lopez just said, unfortunately, there's not more of me. Just cut that and put it wherever you want. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, we'll add that as a but, drop. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, but you're right, Eric. We are doing interviews against, uh, you know, uh, cross countries, cross international datelines. Uh, yeah, no, this is a historic episode here. First, we we are uh, very excited. What the guys are talking about here is uh, our guest for today's show is Ben Lively, who uh, is in the Korean baseball organization. Of course, his season has been cut short due to injury, uh, at least for now. But even despite all that, uh, he was kind enough to uh, join uh, Eric and Brian, and uh, we have that on this show. We'll have a video version of that interview coming up on our YouTube channel as well. So. Be on the lookout for that. But uh, uh, first of all, before we get started, guys, just tell us about the uh, or tell me about the hoops you had to jump through in order to get this interview. <laughs> well, ben, fortunately, it's called technology uh, and Instagram. Ben Lively reached out to me after he saw the unveiling of one of my uh, top uh, 100 male athletes recently, where Ben Lively was ranked 60th. Uh, and so he reached out. We've been trying now, Murph. We've been trying to get him through different channels since what opening day, the first week yeah. of the KBO. As, as far as I know, the me- the media relations arm of the KBO is not as robust as we're used to. Yeah, probably not really. Like, I, I mean, they weren't they weren't uh, ex- expedient with their responses. But yeah, we've been like, we put. I think Eric, you put in request in like late March, early April yeah. for Ben. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, it's been that long. So we've been working on this for a while. Now, unfortunately, Ben Lively recently got hurt, uh, so he's been doing rehab. But if there's a positive from that, it means he has a little more extra time. So, uh, like I said, he reached out when he saw that he was ranked in the top – he was ranked 60th. In fact, he tweeted that out and very excited that he was ranked 60th. Um, And so I got him to talk, and we agreed to do it. And uh, Murph was uh, gracious enough to uh, agree to it as well, to give up a little, a few hours of sleep. Although, as it turns out, Murph, I mean, we're going to exaggerate it. We, uh, we started this point. We were thinking maybe we have to do the interview at 3, 4 in the morning. It wasn't that late. We, didn't, we did not have to do it that late, Murph. 
No, it wasn't that bad. When you do an interview at eleven thirty at night, I mean, that, that's not that bad. That's like that's like talking to someone after like a sixteen inning baseball game. You've you've been there before. So oh, wait, eleven thirty at night is what time in South Korea? Twelve thirty. Yeah. Oh, twelve thirty. Twelve thirty the following After. day, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. So yes. So he was about. To, he did. He took some time to talk to us prior to him to going to lunch and prior to us going to sleep. That's how this works. Um, and we hit up a lot of different topics with him. So we're looking forward to airing this interview. We're excited about it uh, exclusively here on the Banneret and talked about a lot of different topics, including what's it like to play, you know, sports. Uh, you know, in a different country where they know what they're doing, uh, as opposed to other places. And we talked about his UCF career. Wow, we're talking about shade. Holy smokes! Just saying. Uh, we'll say. I mean, maybe. Hey, who knows? Maybe later on, uh, you know, we'll have optimism for uh, other sports here in the states. But we'll talk about that with him over there. What was it? What's it like in South Korea? We'll talk about his UCF career. Of course, he was a fourth round draft pick of the baseball. So we're we're looking forward to having. Uh, we'll have Ben here momentarily. We'll air that interview. Uh, here shortly. All right. Well, actually, we're going to do it right now. What do you say? Here is uh, Eric and Brian with former UCF pitcher and current pitcher for the Samsung Lions of the Korean Baseball Organization, Ben Lively. All right. And joining us now, he is, of course, one of the greats at UCF, of course, part of the 2011-2012 UCF teams that made the NCAA tournament, a regional final in Coral Gables, a fourth-round draft pick in the Major League Baseball draft, currently playing in the KBO. We hope to get him back soon here. I speak of Ben Lively joining us here. Uh, ben, how you doing? Doing good, guys. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Uh, just tell us a little bit about what's it like right now uh, over there. You've been playing the KBO. I know you're currently rehabbing from an injury, but what's it like playing over there? Oh, man. Feels like glorified practices. But <laughs> it's still good, you know. We're still getting to play, and the, everything still counts. So we still get that chance to compete and play some games, actually. So it's definitely a lot more than what's going on over there. <laughs> yeah, well, ben, ben, as a competitor and as a guy who's who's pitched in you know major stadiums and all these you know raucous crowd environments, when you pitch in front of no fans in a game that's supposed to mean something and you need to still have those those juices going, but there's no there's nobody cheering or booing, does it make a difference as a, as a performer? I mean, I think so for me because you know, like in a big situation, you definitely hear the crowd and you get fired up and take it to the next level. And here you're just like, more like, okay, slow down. Think of it as like a glorified bullpen. You know what you need to do, execute it. There's no noise to get you out of it. Only thing you're hearing is the other team in the other dugout. That's either just going to annoy you or fire you up just as much as you can make it. What, uh, what has this year been like for you? I know it's, it's, it's kind of been a, a struggle on the mound for you, but, what what has this season been like for you over there in Korea? And right now you're fighting an injury. Just what has it been like? Oh man, just it's, it feels like 2020. <laughs> <laughs> First two games by one run. Then my third game, I get hit in the hand. I try to stay in the game. They take me out. Then end up getting a loss that game too. And then next game, warm me up before the game. I just felt something in my rib, and I was like, oh no, and just. Got the MRI, and I was like, well, this is great. Because 2020 couldn't be any worse. But I, I'm getting healthy pretty quick, you know. It's like it subsided very, very fast. And they're thinking about two weeks, I'll be back to the games. And I'm going to try to be an absolute animal when I get back on the mound. 
Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to go back to when you agreed to to sign with the Samsung Lions. Uh, obviously, you played for years at the major league level with the Phillies and the, and the Royals. So in, in 2019, you're traded to the Diamondbacks. And then after that, you sign with uh, the Samsung Lions in August of 2019. What did you know about what did you know about the KBO at the time that you signed and uh, what was the adjustment like when you got there? I mean when I got to Arizona, like there was a lot of talk that they were gonna get rid of Grinky and I would have a chance to start and then when I was with the Royals I was bullpen starter just getting played with and that wasn't fun. But when I got to the um, Arizona they wanted me to be a starter because they were gonna do some deals at the deadline. And they made some deals, but they also picked up an extra starter. And right after that deadline passed, Korea contacted me. And so I went to the coaches the next day, and I was like, hey, like, I just got an offer to go to Korea. And I was still on the roster, and I was like, I mean, like, what do you guys think? And they were like, well, it's up to you, but, I mean, we don't we – don't, like, we're not going to deny it for you. We're not going to, like, do anything. It's your decision. So I was like, well, personally, good time to go take some money and have a new opportunity over there and get back on track. So I took it, came here, and the only, only thing I knew about the KBO then is I had a couple buddies playing here, but, I mean, they didn't play long, but they, they liked it. So I was kind of fired up to come over here, and it's been fun. It's definitely – Definitely a different world over there. Yeah, did it take you a while to get adjusted to the culture and the language barrier, all that stuff? Oh, I'm still getting adjusted to the language barrier. <laughs> but the culture is like, culture is mainly based on like respect. Like you respect your elders. And other than that, it's just like, it's pretty much like really small things. Like saying like hello to everybody in the morning. If you don't, like some people that love you, like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you say hello, you say enjoy your meal, and just respect everybody, and they respect you, and it's pretty much easy going. It's a lot of, like, it's very genteel. Everybody respects each other immensely. It's, it's like you said, it's almost an offense if you don't show outward respect towards someone. Oh, yeah, and you just get stared at. Uh, <laughs> and then, obviously, this season with all the coronavirus regulations um, that MLB is trying to figure out right now as well, but for you guys in KBO, you're, you're living through it so air high fives uh no spitting of sunflower seeds which is such a part of the game naturally and all these other things that are normal to baseball that are no longer part of the game as just a baseball player for so long how long did it take you to sort of adjust to that and, and living that way as a baseball player i mean first off you got to find sunflower seeds it's not that easy <laughs> <laughs> but i mean like I don't know. It's pretty easy to control spitting in the dugout and stuff like that. I mean, if you need to, there's a bathroom right there inside. And um, so, like, the, the virus here, so it started in Korea in our city of Daegu. Like, mm-hmm. I am in the city right now where it blew up in that church. Mm-hmm. And the past week, we've had one new case. Yeah, there hasn't it's, – it's, like, gone. And they had a strict ruling when it first came out to make everyone stay home. They said it was ghost town here, like when it happened. So it like blew up, but it went away so fast. So like their regulations and definitely the US, U.S. regulations are way different. They're actually very, very strict here. But 
I mean, it's that's only thing that's what's gonna it's gonna take. You just yeah. gotta take that one little time that's gonna suck, but stay inside for a little bit, suck it up. I mean, when I first got here, I couldn't leave my apartment for two weeks or I could be deported. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everyone wants to cry and complain about not being able to do stuff, but everyone's going to cry and complain about the virus still going around. I mean, it's, it's you know, you got to stay inside. You have to wear a mask when you go outside. You're social distancing, all that stuff. I mean, you guys, would you, that's just a fact of life over in Korea where everybody seemed to follow that right away. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, it was... I mean, they're very, like, concerned about their health here. Like, you see everywhere that people are, like, doing something to clean. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, like, they always carry stuff with, like, very, like, um, cosmetic stuff, and they do, like, all their stuff. Like, they're very, very clean people. Healthcare, very, very clean. It's pretty wild. I I didn't expect that. Mm. And, like, you know... You, do you still live in, uh, or when you go back to the U.S., do you go to, you live in Florida, right? Do you still live in Pensacola? Yeah, Pensacola. So, I mean, not to get, I'm not going to get political, but when you see what's happening with all the spikes again and coronavirus cases going up and Florida's have been a bit of a hot spot, like what do you see when you see that COVID's kind of back on, on the rise here? Yeah, the tourists are heading to the beach. <laughs> I mean, you laugh about it as a joke, but it's probably true. I mean, everyone's traveling because it is summertime. I mean, this is the time of the year. Like my dad runs a fishing boat. Like he relies on tourists coming down there to go fishing. Mm. And when he's not working, he's very grumpy. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard to know exactly where it's all coming from the spread, but mm-hmm. I mean, it, it has to be travelers. I mean, it's pretty much only thing that when someone comes here in Korea, like they know exactly where they came from. Like they said, there was a case in Seoul the other day. These people came from Bangladesh and like, it's just so small, but the U.S. is just still so many, and it's hard to really pinpoint it. You can take your opinions everywhere. Uh, and one of the things I uh, last, but back to baseball, about when Korea, you know, I think previously, years ago, when players went from Major League Baseball to Korea, it was almost a, 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 an admittance that their career was over, that they could no longer cut it, and they went to Korea to play more baseball. When you look at guys like Eric Thames, who played in Korea – had a really successful run there, came back to the major leagues, and was a big slugger for the Brewers. Josh Limblom, who pitched the major leagues, went to Korea, was the MVP last year, now signed a multi-year contract with the Brewers. Um, this, and, and you've got guys like David Buchanan, uh, former White Sox, Tyler Saladino on your team in Samsung. When, with, with you guys, do you guys see KBO as something that can springboard you back in the major leagues? Oh, I mean, that's why a lot of people are here get a new start and that's why he's Matt Hardy is trying to come here and my buddy Addison Russell just signed here so like it's definitely a place to where if you tear it up you got a very very good chance to get a good contract back in the states when you rate like KBO like you've you've pitched at level, all levels of minor leagues and, and baseball whatnot is KBO like a, a double a level triple a level what's what do you think there's teams that are high trip high triple A mm-hmm. and there's teams that are double A. Like it's 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 honestly the same. Like there's some good team teams. Like it's it's no lower competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, Ben, talk about your journey though. It all started, you know, going to UCF and having the great run that you did at UCF. 
Just talk about first, how did you, what, what made you decide to go to UCF? Uh, first time I went to campus. <laughs> so I was, I was playing summer ball with the Miami, uh, Florida Bombers down in Miami. Mm-hmm. And um, had a couple of good years with them. And the coaches were like, oh, you need to come check it out. And I'm like, okay, okay, like whatever. Like, I was still young. I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm playing college baseball or whatever. Like, okay, I'm just having fun playing travel ball. <laughs> and then started throwing a little bit harder, and I was like, wow. And I started getting more letters from colleges, and UCF was always there. And right when I went to the campus, I was like, wow, this place is sweet. And Wait, do you have any, like, specific, give me specific examples about what you, what you liked about the campus? I mean, it was just new, and it was up and coming, and it was just cool, like, then that was their last year of Adidas when I got there and they had the whole picture like we're gonna go to Nike and like everything was just like brand new and, like I went to like a couple couple other schools and you know it's just normal colleges like old school like Mississippi colleges like I was like this place just stuck out to me and I was like this seems like great I love Orlando I love the Oviedo area it's close to the east coast you can, it's not far from home so it was like Still Florida. That fired me up. Not like I committed right away. <laughs> I, was, I, I committed I committed when I visited. I would imagine. And what was that like? Because when you came there, you were part of that group that helped Terry Rooney kind of build the program back up. They had some down years when he took over. They kind of had to build it back up. And you guys got back to the NCAA tournament. You got in 2011, which was the first time for the program since 04. Uh, You got to go to Tallahassee Regional. Then 2012, you had that great year. I've talked to Ronnie Richardson and Harrison Ukari about it, you know, about that magical year where you, you know, we were right there against Rice in the final weekend to decide the conference. You go to Coral Gables. Just take me through that journey when you get there and help kind of turn this program around there and have two two NCAA appearances during that run. Dude, our team that year, all I can say is we were focused and we were having so much fun. It wasn't like – it was like when it came down to baseball, we were locked in. And when we were out of baseball, we were still all – we always did stuff with each other. Like we're, the team was always together. So it was like you were very accountable when you got to the field to like get what you need to be done. Because the last thing we wanted was Terry Rooney yelling at us and taking us on a 20-mile run. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, I mean, it just kind of led the one thing to another. Like, it was just, God, everything was just in sync. Like, those two years, like, there would be games where someone would be down, and you get picked back up, pitcher would struggle, hitters would pick them up. And it was just everyone had each other's backs, and it stayed throughout the whole year, and it was – it was incredible. I mean, it was so much fun to witness that and be on a team like that. A talented team. You had Darnell Sweeney at shortstop, who obviously played to, had a cup of coffee with the Phillies, uh, ironically enough. You had, obviously, guys like Ronnie Richardson, of course, DJ Hicks, a two-time All-American, and then the back end of that bullpen in 20 with Joe Rogers, arguably the best closer in the history of the program, and Roman Madrid, who I, I've told Murph, in that one year he was there in 2012 was huge. That was kind of like the Yankees, Wetland, and Rivera back then with the bullpen, which had to help guys like you out, knowing that you had a bullpen that deep. Oh, when I was pitching there, it was like, get through five, you're good. But, of course, I wanted to go deeper. But if you got through five innings, our bullpen was incredible. And our hitters that year, like, 
Oh, man, you got DJ had to play with people on base or Ronnie. And Darnell, Darnell made every every play that got hit to him. Just, like I said, everything was in sync, and it was just fun to watch. And you pitched a great game in that Coral Gables region, if I remember correctly. You were pitching against Missouri State, if I remember, and they, they had their pitcher that was going to be a highly draft pick. Uh, and you pitched a match pitch for me. What was it? What's it? What was it like to pitch in an NCAA tournament environment like you did in your in those two years, 2011 and 2012? In 2012, you were really good in that in that matchup there in a classic. Oh, it was it was fun. It was hot. I almost <laughs> died. I almost died after the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was for, in Miami though. No, for, that time of year. <laughs> oh man. It was so hot and humid. I remember, like, coming in the dugout, and I was just drinking as much water as I could. But after I got taken out, the inning after I was done, I ended up getting a full body cramp. I fell down in the dugout, and they had to take me to the back room. I couldn't walk. They had to carry me. And I got put on an IV, and they said if I, like, got sick from the IV, I would have to go to the hospital because I was having heat stroke. <laughs> Holy it was, Yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> And I broke my nose the next day. <laughs> wow, that was pretty adventurous. But uh, you won that game. You won the two to one game. Yeah, yeah, that was a game that had the rain delay too, if I remember correctly. I think Joe yeah, yeah, yeah. got out of a bases loaded jam, if I remember correctly, game. And that was a crazy uh, ball game there. Is that one? Of, what are your favorite memories from your days there at UCF? Because in 2013, you had your best year, first team All USA, and you know you won nine games or more multiple times. No UCF pitcher had done that since Tim Baskin. It got you to get drafted in the fourth round of the 2013 draft but what memories or what game stands out for you from your UCF days definitely the Miami game and uh the Marshall and Jacksonville game at home at UCF that 13 year those were just because I pitched against Chris Anderson he was in Jacksonville ended up going first round and Aaron Blair that's at Marshall ended up going first round and I have the whole backstop looked like radar guns. <laughs> and it was wild. Yeah, it's always do you so you notice that when the radar guns are there and like the scouts are there pushing and looking at you, you can tell? I mean it doesn't look like people, it just looks like a big old silhouette of just silver, just <laughs> pointing at it. And you kinda of look up and you're like, All right, I can see what I got in there today. <laughs> but the crate the game that was I think the most fun to pitch in was against Marshall when me and Aaron both went like seven innings. And I think we both had like 13 or 14 strikeouts. And it was just like back and forth, back and forth the whole game. And it was, that was wild. That was like, that was a pretty cool game to pitch in. Yeah, you can always get excited when you're facing off against a pitcher who's always also pumped up and, you know, people talk about him in the draft and things. That kind of gets the competitive juices going, right? You guys can tell. Even even though every game is important when you pitch, but when you, you know you're facing another high-level pitcher, it's almost like you know you got to be on your game that day. Oh, for sure. But definitely my top game was my first game at Florida State. For sure. First game at FSU. And uh, that Dick Houser, that's a hitter's part, too. I mean, that's not the easiest place to play. Oh, yeah. I, I grew up a Florida State fan when I was younger. And I was supposed to start on Sunday. Then on Friday night, all of a sudden, they tell me to go to the bullpen. And I'm like, and I come running in while they're playing O Canada. <laughs> and 
I was throwing as hard as I possibly could. <laughs> I bet. What was it like playing for Terry there? Because you mentioned he's intense uh, guy there, but obviously brought in you and Ronnie and a great recruiting class there to build that team around. But what was that experience like uh, there? And, and, you know, obviously, you know, Coach Godwin was on that staff for that year before he moved on and coaching. Obviously, he's doing good things at ECU. I mean, that was a pretty special time there as well. But what was that like from a coaching standpoint? No, I mean, Rooney was Rooney. He was very in- he was very intense, but he wanted the best of everybody. Like we butted heads a little bit my freshman in the beginning of my sophomore year. But I feel like once you show how committed you are, he respects it and kind of backs off a little bit. But he's definitely gonna push you and I love that. And he definitely made me a better player and definitely a way better pitcher, how I focus towards the game and what I need to do to get things right. And Godwin was a competitor. He was ready to go in Miami's dugout. Mm. Yeah, he was intense. I remember I've taken some bus rides there. I mean, it was, it was Palumbo was the other assistant, I believe, in 2011, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that, that was a fascinating coaching staff because, you're right, they were all intense. And, and I think you guys fed off of that, though, didn't you? Oh, for sure. Yeah, we were, yeah, we were ready to go. <laughs> you weren't going to start any trouble with us. Look, I remember playing, like, playing guys in pro ball still. They were like, Dude, we used to hate playing y'all. I was like, why? He goes, we would see the coaches yelling at y'all during warm-ups. Y'all were, like, slapping tags down uh, infield, outfield. And I was like, why do you hate that? And he's like, I don't know. It's just like y'all are doing, like, so much extra stuff. We're like, no, we're just doing what they told us to do. It's just part of it. And they were like, oh, okay. Like, we thought y'all were just being, like, obnoxious. I was like, no. <laughs> we're just doing what we're supposed to do. <laughs> Right, they weren't used to that having that intensity there on the field. Like I remember, you guys would spike the ball after an inning and over and things like that. I guess some people, I guess, took back to that uh, over the years. But that was that was just part of it. I mean, that was part of the package there to get you guys the most out of you. Oh yeah, for sure. What was it like for you when you got drafted that day in the fourth round? Did you expect it to go in that point? Were you not? Like, what's it like? You know, you're going into that MLB draft. What was your thinking process? Because it's a lengthy draft back then. And, you, you know, is, did you have an idea where you might go or you had no idea? I actually had a call the day before the draft from the Oakland A's. And they told me that they were going to take me second round. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's pretty sick. Like, I got kind of fired up. <laughs> And then uh, nothing after that. I didn't even talk to the Reds except for, like, the winter meetings and stuff when they came down to visit the school and stuff. And um, it got through the second round, and I was like, oh, whatever. Like, I'm just pumped to get a chance to go play pro ball. Like, I'm not too, like, worried about my placement number and all that stuff. And um, next thing you know, Reds called me in the third round. They're like, hey, you're going to be our next pick. I'm like, oh, okay, like – Sounds like sounds like I've heard this before. Like whatever. <laughs> then fourth round comes around. There it is, and I'm like, oh, hell yeah! Like Cincinnati, that's sick. And I knew a couple of guys that got drafted by them, and I was like, oh, let's go! Like a kid from my hometown was already there with them, and it was fun. Flew out to Arizona two days later. Describe that experience. Go ahead, Murph. Go ahead. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, you know, I like. I think I know what you're gonna ask, but like. Uh... The, the aftermath of being drafted and sort of the, the realization of that, you know, what was that like then? I mean, uh, it's, you know, just what was the next, like, week life as you realize, like, I'm a, I'm a major league player now. I'm, I'm a major league team. 
I mean, it was just like more of like a focus, but it's more like a personal focus. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to have your college teammates there to back you up every single time. It's more of like in the first early years of pro ball is finding yourself and what you need to do for your own self to help you stay successful. Mm-hmm. And you definitely see it very quick. It took me a little bit because like there'd be games, like I'd be trying to pick people up and people would look at me like, what are you doing? I was like, all right, I'll shut up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I found it pretty quick, and I just kind of got on a routine and just been sticking with it. I still do the same routine to this day. You get uh, traded to Philadelphia for Marlon Bird, uh, and then when you get to Philly, that's when you get your chance to break into the major leagues. Uh, that moment, that has to be something totally unique. Uh what was that day like for you when you broke in with the Phillies? Uh, was, yeah, words can't describe it. I got called up a few times for taxi squad, like just to be in the bullpen, just in case if they needed me on a doubleheader or something. But I didn't pitch. But I was around the team. So I kind of got, like, used to everybody. And, of course, I've already made friends that were up there and stuff like that. And um, when they called me and they are like, okay, you're starting tomorrow, I was like, who are we playing? they were like the giants i was like okay professor posey seminal let's go and um this was was 2017 right so oh i was gonna say they're they're not the reading world champions but they were they were still pretty good at that point that was a good team oh yeah they're they're always pretty solid team yeah and so um i get i get to the field and it's just like Everyone leaves you alone. Like, no one was coming. Like, even though that was my first start, like, you could see the media in there just, like, staring at me, and I was just, hey. <laughs> but, like, everyone leaves you alone. It's, like, it's such a surreal feeling. Like, everyone's like, all right, it's your time. Let's go. And right when I got on the mound, my first thought was, okay, this first pitch is going right down the middle. <laughs> Like, I am throwing a strike for my first major league pitch for sure. It was right down the middle. And then I think the most mind-blowing thing to me is, like, I was I was feeling good. I was throwing strikes. But every time I got two strikes, I could not strike anybody out. And I ended up getting zero strikes. Hmm. <laughs> got my first hit before I got my first strike out. Wow. It's a little different, tougher in the big leagues there, getting that strike out of the two-out pitch there. You know, they, they, they foul pitches off. Oh, man, they they know that strike zone better than me. Like, you see the hitters, like, just ducking their head right there and they'll shake their head right away, and that ball's two inches off, and you're like, dang it. <laughs> but um, once I got, like, toward, like, the seventh inning, I was, like, getting pretty comfortable, and I was like, all right, like, it's pretty fun. But then you have those games that that ball stays over the middle of the play too long, and it's, it happens very, very quick. Yeah. Very quick. Not, not, many, not much room for mistakes. Did you have a moment or a – do you remember a moment in which you maybe caught yourself and, and – you know, because when you say when you broke in, it, it all feels very new. But was there a time when you felt confident that, and aware that, you know, I am now a major leaguer? I, you know, I, I – I deserve to – I belong here. I deserve to, to be here. Was there a moment for you when you, that really kind of clicked for you? Boston, my third game. So I went seven innings against the Giants. I went seven innings against the Braves. 
and then I went seven against Boston. And I'll never forget in the seventh inning, Pete McCannon comes out there, had Pejoria up to play with two strikes. And he just Pete McCannon walks out to the mound and just stared at me and goes, This is your last guy. Strike him out. And turned around and walked in. And Pete was kind of a kind of a scary guy. Like he wasn't a big guy, but his demeanor was very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And like he didn't speak he's one of those managers he didn't really talk to that much, but when he does speak to you, you're like, Okay. And I struck him out. And I was really, really fired up. <laughs> that was definitely after the game. I was just sitting in the locker room, and I was like, wow. All right. Let's keep this going. That's pretty, pretty amazing. What's the biggest thing you learned from the time there in the major leagues? I know you were always had to be frustrating back and forth, minors in the big leagues throughout there that you're even using now, pitching in the KBO, and you will use in the future in the rest of your career. I think more is like the – I mean, there's there's games where you want to set guys up for strikeouts, and there's games that you want to pitch effectively early that you're going to get a bunch of – because a lot of teams have different approaches. Like, there's teams that are going to have a bunch of swings. So if you're going to play a team versus a bunch of swings or versus a patient team, there's different ways to pitch against them. And I learned, I learned that from a couple of guys, and I watched them use it in games. And so, like, I've been putting that to use ever since I started seeing it, and it's – it works when you throw your bright pitches. Makes life How very easy as a pitcher. How involved have you been with uh, Greg Lovely and his staff at UCF Baseball? I know they've tried to bring in four, four players more often. Have you talked to Greg or, or those current that current staff? Yeah, we talk a little bit. Like he sends me emails and stuff. And I mean, when I go down there, I come by the field and say what's up and everything. Like oh, every time I go down there, I go by the field. I mean, of course, I gotta go say what's up to the boys, but. Yeah, we keep in touch. I think eventually I'll make the golf tournament one day. <laughs> I've heard I, about hear, I, I hear that's cutthroat. I hear there are people <laughs> trying to get in that thing. Yeah. <laughs> When's the last time you were there? Uh, have you been there since they obviously have now? It's now John Juliano Park. They've had renovations there. Uh, when was the last time you were there? Two years ago. Okay. I went to a football game. I think they were playing UConn. Okay. Yeah. I think it was two years ago. But I usually I usually try to go at least once a year. But I, I didn't get the chance to make it this past year. I was just kind of busy. And coming back over here, I was getting a lot of stuff together. For sure. But if, we, if we got college football, I most likely will be there this year. We're all hoping. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, but obviously, obviously, you eventually kept attached with the staff. But what did it, you know? You did you follow the team? They won the conference in 2017. The American got back to the tournament since 2012. So, uh, and the program was having a great year this year prior to the shutdown. Uh, but seems to be headed in the right direction once again, which has to make you excited as an alum. Oh, absolutely! And they went up there and swept Auburn this this year. And that was yep. cool because I got a bunch of I got a bunch of friends at Auburn. And I was like, hi, you guys. <laughs> that's pretty good and, well, and, and of course they had Hankinson their reliever gets goes in the fifth round of course Eric Scoble and your teammate went in the fourth round in 2014 uh, do you stay in touch with guys like Scobes in the big leagues and what advice would you give to guys like Hankinson who's about to kind of start his journey as far as what they're getting themselves into in big league baseball here 
I mean, just do what you need to do to be ready. Anything you need to do. There's no excuse that the trainers are there for you. You got everything you need. Just don't be shy and do what you need to do and stay focused. And yeah, I talk to big old scoggles every now and then. <laughs> How many of the guys you I, stay in touch with on that team, from that team, right? Like Rogers and those guys, you stay, oh, you're all pretty tight. Oh yeah. Yeah. I talked to them a good bit. I, I played with Eric with Kansas city. We were yeah. yep. the Royals. That was fun. That was pretty wild. He came banging on my door my first night there. <laughs> was pretty funny. Did you also play with Drew Buterra in Kansas City? No, no, he was gone when I got there. But I played against him, like said what's up and stuff. Sure. Okay. Right. Cool. That's pretty good. Well, now uh, as we let you go, obviously you're in the rehab. We hope to see you soon. Now, people like Brian have been getting up early. Uh, to watch you pitch. And there have been UCF fans that have gotten up to watch you pitch because, well, you're the only baseball going on uh, and they want to see how you're doing. So just tell us a little bit on uh, the rehab and with your timetable and just kind of more about, you know, how you're doing because a lot of people are interested in and in, in still following you and hoping you're doing okay. So what would you like to tell them? Oh, I'll be fine. You know, I'm getting well soon. I've been, I started throwing this past week and once I get a couple of long toss and a couple of bullpens in, I think in like two weeks I'll get in the game and back to work. Well, I look I look forward to waking up once again at 5 a.m. to uh, get some coffee and watch <laughs> KBO again. Ben, I thank you so much. As you about to head out to lunch, I'm about to go to sleep. Uh, so <laughs> have a fantastic Monday. All right, y'all have a good sleep. So there's Ben Lively, and uh, certainly we all hope he makes it back soon. It's nice to hear that he's uh, getting pretty close to getting back to game action and. Um, as I told him right after this interview ended, I do look forward to the day where I once again give up, get up at 5 a.m., uh, get some coffee, and, and get back to watching KBO because I really haven't watched any without him in it. So I look forward to that. But um, it was great. Uh, not only him talking about what it's like to play in the KBO now, but certainly reminiscing on his old UCF days, what it was like playing for Terry Rooney and, and that sort of intensity and how they sort of butted heads early on. But uh it was really a, a wide-ranging and um, I, I thought a pretty solid um, uh, answers from, from Ben. Yeah, it's good to see. I, I mean, I, it's I, I'm always a guy who's like, if you're a UCF alumnus and you're and, and you have a job in pro sports, I think that's a great thing. I don't think I don't care where it is. I don't care for whom it is. Like, it's it's a good thing to continue doing the thing that you love. Yeah, and. Um, well, in the KBO, I mean, that's and Brian mentioned it during the interview, uh, and Murph, you could expand on it. It's not where guys go now because they, you know, that to end their careers. I mean, guy, this is a where people are going to get a second or third chance, a second, third look from the big leagues. I mean, this is an opportunity, and especially in the year that we're in, where you know, up until last weekend, where the Japanese league started, they've been the only game in town. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, get, you know, there have been more eyes on the KBO, not just from the public, the baseball-loving public, but but you know, executives and obviously uh, you know, team brass because. Maybe they can look at these guys, and depending on their performance, we could look into signing them. I mean, last year's KBO MVP, who was a former major leaguer, Josh Lindblom, he played the major leagues for about five years, then went to the KBO, won the MVP in the KBO, and then signed a, a three-year deal with the Brewers this winter. And um, I mean, that's happened with Eric Thames and a couple other guys. So certainly you don't look at the KBO as some sort of deserted island of misfit toys anymore. Um, it's more about guys who are really trying to rehabilitate their careers and get back in the major leagues, like Ben said, he's certainly trying to do. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. It's it's not like I think 
we think of it as if it's not Major League Baseball, it's basically just like the like an independent minor league team, right? Like where guys go <laughs> yeah. to play out the string. But that's not the case. There have been several players who have gone out there and come back uh, to the majors. There have been several KBO players who uh, who started in the KBO and came over to the United States. And if it works out, as I hope it does for Ben, um, then that's I mean that's that's never a bad thing. He's proven he can pitch in the majors before. And if he works on some, if he works on the things he feels like he needs to work on and and uh, and improves and gets to the point where some some team may want him to come back. Um, you know, that's a good thing. Of course, it's going to look really weird in 2020, obviously, but, you know, we'll see how everything works in baseball stateside in uh, 2021 with uh, everything that's going on. We'll probably touch upon that in a little bit. Uh, and yeah. also some other news from uh, around the world of UCF sports. Uh, are we going to see bands? Probably not next year. We'll talk about that and uh, a few more items when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Kind of a grab bag of stuff we can uh, talk about here. By the way, uh, if you want to ask us a question that we can answer on the next show, please do. Holler at us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Also, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And don't forget to follow us, as always, on BlackandGoldBanneret.com. Your uh, home for UCF Sports on SB Nation. All right. A um, couple other things we wanted to talk about, Murph and Eric. Uh, 30 more UCF players hopped on campus um, to uh, begin this preliminary uh, run-up to the football season workouts. This is in the midst of several programs already um, coming forth with, um, with COVID-19 diagnoses and actually in other sports as well. We heard about some uh, some players and caddies in the PGA, which just restarted, which is about as socially distant a sport as it gets. Uh, obviously, Novak uh, Novak Djokovic uh, has been has tested positive for COVID nineteen in the world of tennis. Um, right after baseball, it was announced that it, uh, Major League Baseball, I should say, is coming back. A couple of members of the Colorado Rockies have tested positive for. It. I think that came out about fifteen minutes after they finalized the. <laughs> finalize the deal to start the season. Um, it just feels so much like we're walking a tightrope here, but I, let's, I guess we can consider this phase two of reopening, right, Brian? Sort of. Uh, well, if it is phase two, it, it's not really. It's like phase 1.25 because not everything that's supposed to be happening at this time as far as athletes coming back on campus is happening right now. So, what has happened, kind of as scheduled, is that about 30 more football players, uh, mostly you know younger freshmen, uh, were on were, came on campus this week. Now, as per the first group who arrived on June 1st, uh, this current group will now go through a week of testing and education. They'll not be allowed to use the facilities or work out until they pass a coronavirus test, uh, and and they so they will not be able to work out until at least uh, next Monday at the absolute earliest. And of course, we know that three players from the first crop of 60 did test positive and, and they were put in quarantine. Um, however, you should remember when UCF Athletics kind of put out its initial plan for when they were going to start, you know, who was going to start coming back when, this was also the time in which men's and women's basketball players were supposed to be able to come back on campus. Um, but that's not going to happen. As we were informed on Monday, 
Uh, those players are not coming back in June as expected. Mostly, I, I've heard that you know th- those players to really prepare need to play pickup and to play you know five, you know three on three and five on five, and they can't do that right now in a formal setting. And so it's I think the thinking is it's not worth it to bring the players back for basketball if all they're doing is conditioning work. So they're staying off campus for now. Um, and then, you know, later on in this, we're supposed to have other sports in the fall, like soccer and, and uh, women's volleyball coming on campus in July. But that's not happening either. Uh, they won't come back until at least August, kind of right around where, you know, their usual first practice start dates. Um, so they're being delayed from July to August. Men's basketball, women's basketball is being delayed from uh, June, you know, like mid-June or right now to maybe mid-July um, at the earliest probably. And then obviously you have football, which is still kind of moving forward. Um, we do need to see what happens with these 30 players who just hit campus. Um, but, you know, also included in this week's news is that if any of those kids do test positive for coronavirus, uh, we won't know about it. Um, as, you, as you might right. remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the first three kids who did, well, we don't know their names, but it was it was released by UCF Athletics that that we did have three of the first 60 players who were brought back on campus for football. Three of those 60 players tested positive for coronavirus, put in quarantine. I think that was, I think that was back on June 9th. Mm-hmm. Um, well, people in the football program didn't like that uh, that that w- that was put out there by athletics. That was publicized by athletics, and there was a release this week talking about how some student athletes voiced concern about um, the fear that. that uh, their personal health information might be divulged. You know, people want to know who is it, who's testing positive. Well, you know, kids really don't want people to know right now. So um, that's all being made private. And how it's all being sort of made private is through this dashboard that UCF will hopefully launch sometime next month, which will basically include all of the coronavirus positive cases within the UCF community. So students, including student athletes, Teachers, the faculty, um, staff, anybody who tests positive within within the USF community, they will be counted on this dashboard. But it will be wholly generic. Uh, no, you know, no one will be broken down by uh, you know major or sport or whatever. Um, so anybody who does test test positive in athletics will be thrown into that group. Um, but you'll never know how many or who was it. So, and I even asked for an update on the three players that we did know about. And I was told by athletics that they're not getting into specifics anymore as they move on to this next stage and they basically let the dashboard speak for itself. Which, in defense of the student athletes, I think is a good thing. I mean, obviously, they don't want, you know, I don't blame them if you, because you can almost, you know, figure out, you know, if it was three of the first 60, well, that's, you know, <laughs> it's someone, it's, it's someone within one of those, within, within that you know, within that group, there's sort of a process of elimination there. Um, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that the university is taking that that stance in, in terms of trying to, um, in terms of trying to protect the student athletes. Although, if that continues into the fall, and if we do have a season, if someone disappears, for, you know, from the from you know UCF uh, athletics for two weeks, you know, the questions are going to the questions are going to arise. Um, yeah. It's, it's a tough, you know. It's a, I think it's a tough tightrope to walk. But I, I don't, th- but I, I don't think UCF or anyone else for that matter in college sports uh, should be 
lambasted it at all for you know erring on the side of the privacy of the student athletes, don't you think? No, I no, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, they, they, you know, this is different than pro sports. These are college right. athletes who are not paid. It's it's you know, I, and so um, you know, they really should be students first. And so if we're going to make them students, uh, then then we shouldn't care about. I mean. I understand the argument against what I'm about to say, but we shouldn't care about we should we should care about them equally as if they were biology students who were testing positive for COVID-19. Now, obviously, people will say, you know, people aren't, you know, wagering uh, on biology students or interested to watch them experiment or, uh, you know, paying money to watch them experiment hundreds of dollars uh, worth. But but wouldn't that be wouldn't that first of all, wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Yes. right? Right. Wouldn't that be nice? Right. Uh, if we put actual more in actual edu- put more money into actual education, right. um, but but I, the point being is though they're still student athletes and they need to be treated like students and treated like um, in some aspects like like private citizens. So um, I think that's what's trying to be accomplished here, and um, we'll we'll see what happens from here on out. But but you know if anybody asks uh, you know what happened to the the three guys who were put in quarantine, uh, I don't know, and uh, we certainly won't hear anything public about it. I have a sneaking suspicion that we, we will find out who the players were, but it probably will never be, you know, public knowledge. It'll all be sort of off the record stuff. But those things have a tendency to leak out. Um, but certainly, if there is word, it will not come from UCF athletics like it did about two and a half weeks ago. Yeah, or, or it'll probably be like the players themselves who are like who maybe volunteer that. I mean, right. sometimes. But, I mean, but they, let me they can might. I play? Let me let me. Can I, mean, I play devil's advocate? Like. There's not like any names have ever been leaked of all these schools. There's been no names that have been leaked. Right. So what is? Yeah. I feel that's an excuse more than oh wait wait privacy player. There was no names that have been leaked, and I got news for them. Let's say we have a football season. <laughs> um, we're gonna be able to notice if there's a kid that you think is a starter. Let's say a quarterback, a running back, whatever, and all of a sudden he's not even on the field. What are you gonna do then? Well, so no, what happened? We understand that. We, it's like it's like Randy Charlton going down with mono for two weeks. That was the you know that was the thing that everybody was trying to keep under wraps for a long time. Right, and, um, I, and I agree with that motive, but I just I don't think I, I will. I I feel like this was a reaction to everybody freaking out every time a number comes out. Oh my god, oh, I got eight. You know, sub X amount of players. I just feel like they're reacting, so, not UCF. I'm not, I'm not even talking about UCF in general because they're not the. It's worth noting they are not the only school that is going this route. Right. So, so what you're saying, Eric, is that is that you think that this is more of a CYA move by the schools that just so happens to align with protecting the players. Correct. Because uh, again, there was no players name. Like if a player name had leaked out, which was a concern, then okay, I get it. But there's no one, no one, even. Even on where, where people have reported uh, some certain numbers of certain players in different schools have taken, not one person has said, "Hey, so and so got it." No one has said that. I think every actually, I think the media, uh, the coverage of it, the reporting has been responsible. No one has tried to say, "Well, who is it?" That's um, fair. So I, 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 I don't think that's a. I just don't agree with them saying, "Well, this is in their privacy." Yes, yeah, the private. But no one. It, people are trying to find out information, and. And and what my worry is, I think some people will perceive this as, are you trying to hide something? I, and I don't think that's the case, but I think there's going to be people that think they're trying to hide something. Uh, and we have enough cyn- uh, cynicism as there is now. So, um, you know, I, I, I think these are ev- very important information 
And hopefully the schools are using this with their other schools and, and trying to figure all this out. So I'm not saying that they need to tell us. I just hope they use that it's not one of these things where like, all right, we're, we're, we're you guys always freak out every time we give you a report. So we're not going to give it to you. I hope it's not because of that. That's my concern. Well, I, I think that I would want to know, like, to what extent the like somebody knows how many student athletes on a given team have tested positive for COVID-19, right? So if that's the case, is that information being shared with the NCAA? Is it being shared with the conference? Because if those numbers increase over time, we don't know if they will, but there's a, certain, there's a distinct possibility that it might in the next couple months as we approach the fall, the people who make the decisions at the American and in the NCAA, they're going to need that data in order to make this, in order to make those decisions. So, what happens with that information then? I, I think that's what I would that I, I'm interested about what the, the the sort of the pattern, the flow of information is, right, Brian? Well, certainly, no. I think that information has to be made aware to the conference and to the NCAA because UCF is taking is taking pointers and tips for them from them as to how to proceed. So they right. have to know that information. Well, the guard here is against the public you know, disclosure of, of positive cases. Now, um, even if we want to argue that, and I understand the points there, let's say the, the three players who did test positive are in quarantine and then are, you know, are tested as per protocol, um, tested twice in 24 hours, both come back negative or allowed to rejoin the workout population. Um, with which would now be 87 other teammates or so, if those kids are cleared, like, is is it so bad that we can't even publicize that? Like, they, we can't even like we can't even publicize good news anymore because when I was trying to dig for information about the kids in quarantine, I was just sort of shunned off at like, well, there's no information on that. Like, but even if there's good news, we have nothing to share, which I right. feel like be a little odd. Yeah. Well, well I mean, that, and that's where when you have like closed practices now, you it's like, like not like you can sit out there with a roster and pick out people, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, and I think it's valuable information from this standpoint. Look, I mean, there's 130 uh, Division One college football programs, so I mean, we all knew there was going to be some positives. Uh, t- there was going to be test some tests that it was going to pop up. There was going to be some guys that they tested positive for it, but I think there's more. There's more invaluable information of it. Like 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 for example. Let's say uh, we find out in about a month or two, and I'll give you a conservative number. Let's say a thousand football players have tested positive uh, from the 130 schools, which would come out to about an average. I don't know what the math quick average is. You guys can figure that out. But you know, how how are they doing? Are are they are they is you know are they fine? Do they get a cold? Are they going to the how many are being sent to the hospital? Because I think those are valuable information. Um, and I'm not saying again they they don't have to share it with the public, but they better share it with important people when they come and, and better take that into effect with any decisions they make moving forward. And I think they will, but I think that is valuable information to find out as far as what are they ca- what what are they getting? How are they getting it? Are they getting it because they're working out, or are they getting it because they're going out? I think that's a significant difference too. We've seen this across the sports uh, in you know where reports are where you know the old miss players got it because they some of the players went out to a party lsu lsu got it yeah. out at tigerland that's all very valuable information uh not just for the universities but for health in general to find out what's going what's causing 
you to catch this and and maybe you know hopefully learn from it and try to embed, get better at things. I, I well, think those are equally more important information than hey, so how many players tested positive? How are they doing? I think it's just as important and how they got it. I think it's important. But, I mean, certainly they could do some contact tracing as to how they got it, uh, as far as like you know where where people were at certain times and you're around each other, and you can basically extrapolate from there uh, how they got it or where they got it from. Uh, I, I have a thing I wanted to bring up because I saw this in the MLB news today, and it and it 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 it, it should be noteworthy for sports nationwide as we kind of uh, figure out what the next steps are. And obviously, everybody's doing the big thing now is temperature checks. So, like UCF, mm-hmm. uh, if an athlete wants to go to another facility, another building, every time they go into a new a new building, they have to have their temperature taken. Uh, I think hundred I think one hundred point four is the access point. If you're if you're not if you're if you're at one hundred point four or above. You're not allowed in, or you're shoved away. Um, but anyway, temperature checks are a big deal. Uh, there was a Phillies player, or at least a staff member of the, of the Phillies spring training organization, who tested positive uh, yesterday, or we found out yesterday he tested positive. He had passed every temperature check, and I wanna, and and again, this is the hard part of all of this. This is not. I'm not saying there's a better, there's a, there's a, a solution to this. I'm saying this is how difficult this fall is going to be. When you say asymptomatic. Okay, that means zero symptoms. So, and, and then possibly 15 to 40 percent of the population who had the virus could be asymptomatic. So, just because you don't have a temperature does not mean you don't have the virus. And it, it proved out. It proved out in, in, in Philly's camp this week, and it's probably going to happen again this year somewhere. It's just another wrinkle in how difficult this is going to be. Yeah, yeah. And it makes true. me think that temperature checks. The temperature checks, by and large. Are like security theater, which I hate, but it just like it, it makes you feel good. But what is it really telling us? It's, it does not. It certainly doesn't doesn't give us a hundred percent assurity that we're stopping what we intend to stop. Yeah, it's like taking your shoes off at the airport. Um, th- th- along those lines, we got word from the American earlier today uh, about assuming college football happens, there will be significant changes to uh, to the. Uh, uh, the band and cheerleader environment at games. According to the American, uh, or actually this, excuse me, this is according to collegemarching.com. It's a mandate for the 2020 football season, uh, and the American is the first conference to do this. Uh, Four main guidelines, all right? Number one, no visiting team bands or spirit squads. So So UCF marching nights and the UCF cheerleading team, they will not be permitted to go on the road, all right? Uh, number two, no on-field performance for the home team's band. You can forget seeing the marching knights marching out down on the field, pregame, halftime, postgame, whatever. It's not happening. Number three, no spirit squads on the field to start the season. Not entirely sure about what that means for regarding the rest of the season, but we won't see the cheerleaders on the field at least to start. And number four, the home team band and spirit squad limits will be reevaluated as stadium restrictions uh, are lifted, so they're kind of leaving that on the open end. But it, again, that is going to make us again. Assuming there is college football, and if you ask me, I'm still not 100 percent sure that that's going to happen this this fall. At least, it is going to be a significantly more sterile environment that we're going to be watching uh, on television in terms of if they allow if they allow fans in the stands. To what extent do they? Um, and we will not hear. And see a lot of that 
background environment that we're used to seeing um, at these games. But uh, there's been some hemming and hawing and, you know, moaning and gnashing of teeth on the part of uh, some parents and fans about this. I actually, uh, I don't think that this is a bad thing. I think that the American is trying to get out in front and make sure that football happens in some capacity. And um, how do you do that? You got to limit the access uh, to <laughs> to group environments of as many people as possible uh, while still treading this, while still treading that line. And if that means we get a full football season in, you know, I'm in favor. I mean, my heart breaks for those kids who are, who are not going to get that experience this fall. But, um, you know, the Americans trying to make football happen in as best in as best as possible as they can. And this seems to be a step in that right direction. What do you guys think? Well, well that's a- I'm, I, 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 uh, I agree with you on, on this one. And I know way. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I love how people are complaining about this. Let me remind the people that are complaining about this. We're in a pandemic, okay? Guess what? You're not. It's not going to be just a hunky dory. Of course, there. I, I agree with the move. You don't want the last thing you want is a ton of people on the field around the players and coaches. Be, you know. In fact, I'm surprised they're even letting them in the building. Uh, I don't know why that is. If you're going to, oh, you can watch the game, but you can't perform. Um, yeah, this just makes a ton of sense. And yeah, I, I got break. I got bad news for everybody. If there is a season, it's probably going to be very kind of what we've seen with NASCAR and we've seen with golf. It's there's not going to be a ton. It's not going to be what you've been used to. And I think people need to accept that. This is we're not going to be a, a you know packed house here. It's not going to happen. And certainly not at the trend that we're going. I mean, for folks that don't know, Brian and Jeff had to jump me, uh, get me off the cliff before the show. I, I had to rent a vent. Uh, and flip out because, well, you know, that, you know, that's what happens when you stay. Because Eric doesn't like March weather people. But anyway, <laughs> well, it's just me losing. Well, it's me losing my mind. But yeah, I, it's weather I, people. I, one of these days, we're. I swear to God, we're going to do this. All right, Eric, I'm going to get Eric Burris on the show, <laughs> and we're going to have, and we're going to hash this out between the two of you. All right. Well, uh, I just, for- you know, I, I, I get a little nervous when there's lightning and storm warnings while we're trying to record a show. That's all, like. Rain all the time you want, except when we're recording. This is an important show, important programming for our audience. I don't need the weather to mess up our connections. So I get a little uh, agitated. I get a little agitated. You hear that? that? Rain during the show. You hear that? Mother Nature? Stop it. Knock it off. So so to Jeff and Murph's credit, they they, they, they talked me off the ledge. Uh, before the show, which, you know, one of these days, maybe we'll just do a blooper show like we did, a co- you know, where we just kind of listen to me vent and all that. But, um, you know, I, I, I look, I, I'm not optimistic right off. I mean, people can this is the to me worried about whether the, the, the they can perform is our least of our problems. And and with all due respect, um, hey, if that shortens halftime, I'm all for it. Moving it forward. <laughs> it's not going to shorten. Oh, half-time. It's not going to shorten halftime. <laughs> Short. It's no. Unfortunately, you're probably I, right. So, well, I, I will you know, say. I will say this. I, I, let me let me throw the let me throw the op, the opposing view out there, and I want to see what you guys think. Um, you know, like if we can't have the band out there, right? Then why are we having football at all? Because you're you're okay, you're not okay with the band being out there, but you are okay with you know with two hundred well, you know I, uh, people of the same I, uh, of the same age smashing into each other sweating breathing spitting on each other you are okay with that like what what's the difference well you know the difference you know the difference espn's not paying him to watch the band jeffrey exactly rambling this ain't southern 
It's yeah, not FAMU, it's not BCU, right? It's, it's not the quarter class. Whatever Jesus. they got to do, whatever they got to do to get football on the field, they're going to try to do it in the best way they can. Um, and that's just the reality of it. Um, so Murph's right. I mean, with all due respect to the band, uh, you're not the ones that's bringing in the millions of dollars to these universities uh, that, you know, have football on Saturday. Sorry. I mean, that's just is what it is. And But you're right, Jeff. I, don't, I mean, you're not wrong, Jeff. I mean, that's a valid question. I mean, why are we even going to have fans? I think these are difficult. Uh, I think these are questions that will rise uh, in the coming weeks and months um, as we get closer to this date with all this uncertainty because we still have a lot of uncertainty. And that's, you know, for anybody that thinks they know what's going to happen, uh, nobody knows. Uh, but, you know, so we, I just, you know, I feel for them. I get it. That's their big thing. But I don't have a problem with what the conference is doing. I rather the conf- I would rather have conferences be too extreme in the cautious standpoint than being reckless. Uh, I'll put it to that way. And I think that's we fair. can agree on that, right? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, so- it's, it's part of the experience. I mean, obviously, you know, college is college, right? It's, it, there's, there's a bunch of things that we could, that, you know, that, that are part of that experience. It's just, man, like the more info we get, the closer we get, the more it's like, wow, this is going to be really friggin' weird. Um, and, but, but that's just, that's, that's the way it's going to be. It's going to be just a weird, bizarre, uh, um, pre- season, be assuming re- it happens, by the way. Well, prepared. Now I, I want to say, uh, uh, and I think me and Murph have talked about this off the air. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a cancellation of a college football season. For example, in August, like you're not going to hear an announcement. Hey, there's no college football. I think they'll postpone things. I could see that where they try to postpone it either later in the fall. I wouldn't be surprised if Danny White's suggestion that he did a few weeks ago about playing in the spring gets brought up again. Again, this is all dependent on what happens in the next month or two. You know, are we are we still headed in a bad direction or are we in a better state? We don't know. I mean, a month ago, things were looking pretty good. Now, not so great. So um, it just depends. And that's the tricky thing about it. There's so much uncertainty. We don't know what to expect. But I would hope, I would think, and I would hope that all these schools and administrators are thinking of alternative options and not just have their eggs in one basket and assume yeah. that, hey, we're all going to be just fine come August and September. Yeah, I mean, no, that's true. I, I just, I'm just waiting for the inevitable clash of minds that's going to happen when certain conferences demand that they play a conference-only schedule in the fall where others are like, no, we want to play I'm in the spring. Tell you something. I definitely I think, could see that. I think I, we're. I, I think we're this. heading for a. I think we're heading for a real confrontation between some of the conferences about, you know, if this thing extends, you know, toward Labor Day, right? Uh, yeah. That you're going to see. That you're going to see some conferences, you know who, come out and say, you know what, we'll cancel our non-conference schedule. We're going to play conference games only, uh, starting at the beginning of October, uh, and then you're going to say, and then you're going to see other conferences like, uh, you know possibly say uh, you know what we that's not good that's not a that's not a sound financial decision for some of our programs and we will we will have uh, a civil war in college football well here's a problem though and i listened to joe clatt talk about this because he's talked to some administrators part of the problem is every conference everybody's doing something different this is not like the nba right. where they have one protocol and everybody's following it everybody is doing their own thing so what happens is, let's say you're you're, you're kind of let's say if you're the SEC and you're playing a team in the Sun Belt, and their protocol is completely different than what you're doing, 
are you comfortable playing that game? Are you are you comfortable having your students play that if you're not on the same page? Like, for example, is that school going to give us the information on positive tests? Are they testing? Are they not? So to your point, um, I actually think there is some health. Uh, health is part of the story in that, in that some conferences may not feel comfortable playing other con- teams from other conferences that have a completely different protocol. If, if one conference is testing often and the other one is not, they might say, you know what, I'd rather play – someone that is doing the exact same thing that we're doing so that could keep us safe. Yeah, I absolutely think that is a strong possibility that that could happen uh, because of because everybody's kind of doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That's going to be something that we got to follow. Uh, one other thing. Now, there is some good news that we wanted to uh, hit on. Thank yes, God. believe it or not. We're going to have, <laughs> well, assuming all goes well, we're going to have a few, uh, couple more sports. Murph, I know you're Super excited that baseball is going to be coming back, as I am too. Sixty-game season starting uh, in a little bit more than a month. Hopefully, we're able to get. Murph, is Murph? Murph? I mean, this could be a new segment: optimistic Murph, cynical Murph. Murph, are you optimistic (laughs) of Major League Baseball getting the sixty games in? Are you cynical? It's kind of to go back to our earlier interview when we talked to Ben Lively and how they've been playing and how they've handled things. Are you optimistic or or pessimistic, uh, Murph, uh, on Major League Baseball right now? I uh, I don't know. I don't know what I feel. I think you're cautiously they... optimistic. Possibly. I am. I am cautious. Oh no! I am. I am just cautious. Okay. I'm fully cautious. I am riding the fence as firm as possible to where it hurts <laughs> my nether region. I am riding that fence, and so I. I just like yeah. It's the it's the sport I love, and it's supposed to come back, but. God almighty, was that ugly? And is this going to even work? They're going to travel. They're not in a bubble. Um, and, it, and like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't have, I have no emotional attachment to this right now, which is really weird for me to say something like that about baseball. But, I mean, it's better than nothing. Baseball so, is the only yeah. sport that literally hates itself. <laughs> it really it's a house divided but we well, maybe have, you know let, let, what about this murph think about this vision you get up at five in the morning you're watching ben lively and samsung playing in the kbo and it gets you right into that 105 first pitch garrett cole and the yankees huh and then you go all the way to eight o'clock at night i can see it, yeah and it could you know what it could be great and i will I will I will sort of assess my feelings and emotions when I come to that point. I cannot predict what I'm going to feel or if I'm going to feel anything. I might just be dead inside. <laughs> well, if uh, what's the over under on Giancarlo Stan going down with an injury? Five games? Oh come oh, on, man! Stop it! All right. Well, they're, they're back. let's 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 pull this back to the UCF side of things. Uh, yes. In addition to Major League Baseball and the NBA, it looks like we're going to have the basketball tournament. Uh, kicks off on uh, the 4th of July. Uh, story from our friend uh, Jeremy Brenner here on Black and Gold Banneret. Two UCF Knights will be playing uh, in TBT. Chad Brown and A.J. Davis will be playing for a team called Playing for Jimmy V. Um, the games will be broadcast on ESPN's Family of Networks. Um, they will be. Uh, it'll be a field of uh, 24 teams in Columbus, Ohio, and the tournament goes from July 4th through the 14th. There were some moves uh, earlier this year to get an Orlando-based team with uh, potentially a couple of uh, former UCF players. Uh, I think A.J. Davis was on that team uh, or was 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 initially uh, committed to be on that team. 
as well as uh, I forget one other player of two I forget if um, from before but anyway a couple guys that are going to be on this team that uh, AJ and Chad will be on Josh Perkins who played point guard at Gonzaga Marcus Towns who uh, was a, a hero of Loyola Chicago's run to the Final Four in uh, 2017. Uh, they will be playing their first game on Sunday, July 5th. This is <laughs> this is an interesting little tidbit. Their first game will be Sunday, July 5th against the team of alumni from Marshall. So talk about throwing it back a little bit. Um, but we're going to get to see uh, AJ and uh, and Chad, which is uh, a good thing. Obviously, Chad was in the D, uh, not the D League. The, well, yeah, the D League, but they call it the G League. G League. Um, and, uh, you know, this past year with the Texas Legends, uh, and him getting some run in the summer is a good thing, although I imagine that that probably, I don't know what that does for his status with the Mavericks uh, franchise, but at least this is good. What are we looking forward to from this? Uh, Brian, I'll start with you. Sports, live right. sports that, yeah. Americans, that Americans care about in mass. Uh, and, and, and sorry, but golf... And and, uh, and and EPL and NASCAR are, are not uh, in the realm of something that looks like basketball. Um, so I think that's gonna be fun. I think what's gonna be fun is we got a bracket. Like yeah, the thing we get the other thing we didn't get to do this March uh, a bracket. So uh, yeah, and it's a 24 team single elimination tournament taking place in Ohio, and, and they're in a bubble. Um, and and so and it's uh, it's all played out over 10 days. Um, and you'll have teams seed. I'm not sure how the seeds work, but apparently the top uh, eight seeds get a bye, and uh, and then teams like eight through 24 play each other to advance, mm-hmm. uh, and then we go from there. I think that's gonna be fun. I mean, look, it's gonna be nice for us to see some of our some of our uh, you know former or some of our alums, but it'll it'll look like basketball, and it'll happen here in just about 10 days. Yeah, the uh, the the. The prize at the end of this is a gigantic one million dollar plus pot that would be uh, divided amongst the players and and uh, and staff with the teams. Um, it, it does kind of harken back to like I, I hope that when everything clears up that we do get an Orlando team uh, and we get hopefully a team of uh, a lot of players of UCF Knights um, and uh, you know a, a, a former Knights would be a lot of fun to watch. Who, by the way, who would you like to see? Just real quick, each of you, give me give me five guys you want to see. If we had, <laughs> if we had, if we had a UCF, if we had, if there was an all UCF alumni basketball tournament team, who would you want to see on it? Like, how far back do we want to go? Like, Are we going could, all time? I could mean, reason yeah, I mean, could reasonably play right now. Oh, let's see. Well, that, I definitely that, want to see MOD. I want MOD. I mean, you All know, right. I, I just want the competitiveness. He could, I'm, I know he could still shoot from the perimeter. So okay, I want him. Okay, let's put let's put O'Donnell out there. All right, who else? Dexter, Dexter Lyons is probably thirty-seven years old. I mean, he could probably strap it up. Well, him and Josh Peppers have been playing in the Japanese league. So yeah, he okay. Still go. I would love to see that. Jermaine. Can we get a healthy Jermaine? Let's get let's get healthy Jermaine out there. Now we're not counting like B.J. Taylor and those guys because they're under. Uh, well, may, well, unless they're not, you know, we could put we could put B.J. Poss- B.J. could be a possibility. I mean, Taco I mean, could be yeah. available in about a month. Uh, uh, that was the other player I was thinking about earlier. I'm sorry, Matt Williams was actually um, okay. announced to be part of that uh, that uh, the, the Orlando team, and he's not part of it now, at least as far as we know. But I'd, I'd like to see Matt Williams out there. 
And and then so we can't choose taco. No, we can't choose taco. I mean, come on now, Chad. So what, like, I mean, I'm just going by like I, I, I'm looking at like a lineup here. Like, so what is like Keith Clanton? You're you're yeah. Clark. Now we're talking. Yeah. Let's get Clanton out yeah, I'm there. Yeah, Keith Clanton. And, and, so I got we can't uh, we we can't do it. We can't do anything without without our friend of the show, uh, Tristan uh, Tristan Spurlock. Oh yeah, Tristan for being there. Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, he we're going past five. All right, all right. <laughs> Right. We got a big, deep t- t- big time sponsors. Yeah. Let's get let's get Scott Rosen on this. Yeah, you let's know. not burn all. This could be content we might need in the fall. So yeah, I know. Like, I know. Uh, but no, that'll be fun. I look. I mean, I believe ESPN's carrying most of that tournament, aren't they? Uh, they are. Yeah, so uh, that'll be fun to kind of follow. And like Murph said, just have sports on TV, and uh, you know those guys will play. And that's been fun. I've watched some of that in the past. So um, hopefully they're the ones that came up with the uh, Elam ending that we saw in the NBA All Star game this past year. Well, despite that, I still like I'll still watch the tournament, but nonetheless, oh. it, it, it's it's fine. It's I like the ending. I I thought that was I I thought that was a good that, that was a good little wrinkle. You know, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah whatever. The All Star NBA All Star game is a train wreck, so it doesn't matter anymore. So it's well, that got pretty competitive there toward the end. A little bit more competitive than we're used to seeing toward the end, right? So. <laughs> Murph, we're going to miss the baseball all-star game. This was the only all-star game left we had. That nobody cares. Well, nobody cares in that it's an all-star game, but it was certainly the best all-star game of the all-star games. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah, not saying much. Sure, but I'm saying in the pantheon of all-star games that are actually competitive throughout, baseball was really the only one. Yeah, well... So you missed that, but but look. Uh, oh, I missed it. Okay. <laughs> look. But wait, now, Murph, you mentioned the brackets. You mentioned brackets. Uh, yeah. We did. We did get news from the league. So the American Conference Women's Basketball Tournament will be taking place oh. in Fort Worth. That's right, and it will be. Segway. Yes. Thank you. Now here, okay. Here's another thing that I think is good about this. The. Um, the men's and women's tournaments are taking place at Dickey's Arena, or are scheduled to, in 2021. Obviously, you remember a building, the, the, a building that I have stepped foot in and then stepped foot out of. Yes, <laughs> you were there. You were there for the 2020 American Tournament, Brian. <laughs> All, you you were there for the entire length of it. Um, Maybe the uh, now they're not doing it the way Conference USA uh, is doing it. The the women's tournament is going to take place over four days. The men's tournament starts the same day as the women's final and then picks up from there. So um, they're not running concurrent like they do uh, for Conference USA where they have two courts going at the same time at the Star in Frisco. But um, I think this is good. I I always thought that they should have had the the tournaments in the same place. It's going to cut down on travel costs. Uh, It's going to – I just – it would have been nice if it was in Orlando, but I get why it's in Fort Worth because they moved the conference <laughs> office to the to the uh, to North Texas. Uh, well, and they the have Dallas a deal area. with that arena, uh, and they have right, a deal Murph? with that arena. Yeah, so I mean, they've got a good deal there, and I'm sure that the women's tournament is a throw. in. now, a couple of things of this though: the format they're going 11 teams. I think it's men and women the same. 11 team field, mm-hmm. so everybody still gets to participate in the conference tournament. So, because I was kind of wondering what they would do with that. But it's going to be an 11-team field. Uh, you can kind of figure out the bracket from there. But I do like the fact that the women's championship game would be on the day of the first day of the men's because I actually think they'll get more coverage 
you know, for example, you know, people like Brian, for example, who would fly in, and I'm talking in the normal circumstances, would fly into Fort Worth to cover the men's tournament. Well, with Coach Abe and the way they're playing, odds are Murph can get there a day or two before the men's tournament starts and catch the women play in the championship right. game or in the semis. And now you're getting double dip. Uh, here's that you here's what you're going Oh, sorry, sorry, Eric. I just want to say, here's how it's going to go. The the uh, the first round is three games: nine versus eight, ten versus seven, eleven versus six, and then uh, and then you have uh, and then it just goes from there. But the women's tournament would go this coming year, assuming everything goes as planned. The women's tournament would go March eighth through eleventh. Men's tournament March eleventh through the fourteenth, and this would be a fun day of basketball. You guys ready? March the eleventh. You'd have three men's games, the three first-round games, 9-8, 10-7, and 11-6 to start the men's tournament. And the nightcap is the women's championship. Oh, that's yeah. got Brian Murphy written all over it, Murph. That's got you written all over that. Come on. That's I mean, good stuff. When I, saw, when I saw this announcement on Tuesday, my thought, like certainly I thought, like, well, it's good they're putting them together. It cuts down on, on the, the different site travel. Uh, and just, like, yeah, it's fine. Put it both together. My first, th- my first real thought was like, "Wow, I've gone from now spending like three days in Fort Worth to spending six days <laughs> a whole in- week in Fort Worth." <laughs> <laughs> or you could join the women's in progress. I, you know, I don't know if you have to be there for the opening round. But I mean, yeah, what I if the UCF gets a bye? Yeah, you don't have to show up till the next day. You know, exactly. Root for Coach A to finish in the good. top seeds. What? How many teams get the bye there, uh, Jeffrey? You got the uh, three, five, really. So five really get the right. bye because with 11 teams, the 4-5 game is set in the quarterfinals already. Mm. Uh, you have the, the bottom the bottom six teams play each other, and, and those three winners play the top three seeds, but the 4-5 game is already set for day two. Right. Yeah, see? So you root for Coach Abe, get a top three seed, Murph. You don't have to show up till the day of the semis. Maybe so, but I don't know. It's been, I, I didn't I, – I was only there for like – 20 hours, but uh, I didn't hate I, I liked my time in Fort Worth. It was not that bad. Well, as I was talking to some people, uh, 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 you know, Fort Worth, uh, a little better than Hartford, Connecticut in March. <laughs> it's yeah. or, wait, it's better than a casino? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, you can get casinos wherever you can, you know, that, you don't need to go to Hartford and find a casino, right? <laughs> or, you know, do, do those kind of entertainment. <laughs> Dickey's Arena, right? by the way, seats 14,000. How did it look, Murph? Since when you in your brief, in your brief uh, appearance cameo in there? Well, well, how did it look? It looked fine. It looked like just an aircraft hangar uh, <laughs> with some seats in it, and it really did. You know what it looked like? It kind of—I mean, not from the outside. The outside's really nice. The inside was sort of barren and cold, uh, and and the court the court uh, surroundings were like, okay, it's just like a bunch of metal with seating uh, below it, like. It looks fine. Um, it sort of looked like the new Texas Rangers ballpark, which definitely looks like a warehouse. Um, and, and this kind of looks like a warehouse on the inside. But look, I don't care. Uh, I, I, I want to watch basketball and eat some free food and then watch more basketball and then eat more free food and then watch more basketball. Well, that's the other thing. And then, you know, right. <laughs> more free food. I mean, that's the beauty. I mean, really. That's not bad. Got it. So. <laughs> I know. Right? All right. Um... What else we got? Anything? I think that pretty much covers it. Well, real quick, by the way, real quick here. What, what's your thoughts here, Jeffrey, on this? 
Okay. No UConn. How do you think that affects the TV coverage of that turn? Like that championship game, the good news are it sounds like it'll be at night. Will it still be on an ESPN2 like it has been? Or are they going to move it down to like ESPNU? I'm kind of curious about that with no I... UConn. I I think they're going to put it on ESPNU. It's going to it's going to shuffle down. Now I think now the other part of that is what we is you know we don't know what we don't know right we we don't know if some team is going to have a remarkable season and roll through and roll through the conference maybe and and possibly be ranked in the top ten. Um, is it likely? I don't know how likely it is. Um, you know I, I'm not saying that some other I'm not saying that USF or UCF or you know, Cincinnati is going to suddenly turn into UConn at all. Not at all. But um, if the game has, uh, it, it, I think it's going to depend on if if there's going to be some uh, national implications, which it's not outside the realm of possibility. Um, you know, magical seasons have happened before. If 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 that is, then I could see the the uh, championship game on ESPN too. But if it's pretty much the same except minus UConn, yeah, I could probably see it being shuffled down to ESPNU, unfortunately, but. Um, that's that's kind of where we're at. Of course, that assumes UConn still has any sports left after the uh, after, after the announcement oh, they made earlier oh, today. So, I need anyway. Jeff here to take on this. Go ahead, Jeff. Come on. No, no. I, I no, I no, no. It's, I I I think uh, uh, you know they lost four sports today. UConn did. Um, I think that's pretty much all that needs to be said. Well, about let the that. audience know for those that may not be aware right. of what happened. So may not be aware. UConn today at a board of trustees meeting announced that they were cutting uh, four sports, uh, and uh, I'm trying to pull up the sport. Unfortunately, reason. one of them was not football. That's a spoiler. It was uh, not football. <laughs> They are still somehow, for whatever the reason, going to hold on to football, right? And they even came out with a statement of why they're keeping football, didn't they, boys? Yeah, they. Uh, mm-hmm. which the statement that they came out with, uh, you know, obviously some PR. Uh, there, it, there were some things that rung true to that. But uh, the teams that they're ditching are, um, or at least they're proposing eliminating, uh, are men's cross country, men's swimming and diving, men's tennis, and women's rowing. Um, I... Like you guys, I am partial to these sports because they provide the true student-athlete experience to these students who, um, you know, worked hard at their craft. They only get a partial scholarship out of this. It's, you know, uh, most of them uh, don't get full scholarships at all. They get partial scholarships. Uh, and so they still pay part of their way, and they still commit to the incredible intensity that they have to commit themselves to to be a college athlete and to see this um rug ripped out from underneath them when UConn continues to struggle in football um not invest in that program that that could have been good could that could have been good if they gave it a chance um is uh is embarrassing they run a deficit this according to uh uh, uh Pat Forty who's written about this extensively um, they run a defi- They ran a deficit of forty million dollars last year. UConn's athletic department did. Um, the athletic department has been. They've been blowing through money for years. Um, it's just. And if you watch the, uh, I was trying to send around the link to you guys earlier. The board of trustees meeting, like the the people who are even running this, aren't aren't even competent to run a proper video call. 
Um, it's just an absolute embarrassment, and there's no other way to put forth. You know, to, 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 there's no other way. There's no other way to say it. Uh, you know, Randy Edsel's contract is is laden with um, bonuses that you just can't believe. I, it all because the, the UConn doesn't know what it wants to be. And they leave for the Big East, and you know what? Fine, but but football drops down to an independent. Is it is it really? Is that more of a money making pro, uh, prospect for them? I mean, it may be in the long run, but right now it's not looking so good. They're dropping four sports, and those sports are the ones that are going to, and those athletes are the ones that lose. It's 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 the kids who did everything right who lose, and that's what sucks about it. That's what sucks about it. So well, all right, that's the end of my rant. So uh, well, I have I have one other thing that I'll just point out. Okay. Uh, since we talked about baseball earlier, we have even earlier baseball that's happening in the Central Florida area. As soon as next week, uh, it's oh. summer ball, and by God, for some reason it's here. And I want to so I want to bring this up for a couple reasons. One, so UCF players, UCF baseball players, will be playing. You know, as we heard from Coach Lovelady a few weeks ago. They'll be playing in, in mostly three leagues. One's the Florida the Florida Collegiate Summer League, which is where most of the players are playing. Mm-hmm. That's in, like, uh, Deltona and Leesburg and Sanford. They're playing Winter Park? Do they have a team in Winter Park, too? Yes, they do. And they have an Orlando team, and they have a, um, a, a, you know, they have a lot of Central Florida teams. Uh, and so they're, they're playing – you know, they're playing one – of the, one of the sites where they're playing at is um, Conrad Park. Melching, they're playing in Melching Field. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um so, so that's starting next week, and so some a lot of summer leagues are, have been canceled or postponed. But as far as we know, the Florida Summer League is actually happening starting on the 29th. Uh, I want to bring this up, and, and Eric, maybe you want to 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 join me as I read off uh, the stipulations to this tournament. Um, they're allowing fans. Uh, they're allowing up to 50% capacity for this tournament every, at every complex. Uh, and you, in the basically, they were giving out temperature checks, uh, and you know, hand sanitizer, uh, and masks. As written in the in the print, masks are strongly encouraged. What the hell? Uh, this Come is going to be weird. This is going to be weird. Do I go? Do I go just to see what that feels like? Nah, Obviously, Mer- I mean, Burke. I could tell you, Murph, I, I will share this with you. I actually called games for the Summer League back in 2013. Uh, yes. For the then uh, Florida Monarchs, who played their home games at Tinker Field. Uh, you know, so we, I actually could say I was the last person to broadcast from Tinker Field. A uh, lot of rainouts. But nonetheless, and among the players that I covered was Eric Skoglin which was his summer before his big year of 2014 when he won the American Conference Pitcher of the Year. So this league's been good in helping guys play, get better and, and, and improve their sport and stuff like that. Um, there's usually not big crowds for those. I'm just going to say yeah. that. But that was my thought, too. Like, 50% like, could be like, that's fine. I can't imagine these, th- these things are half full. Nah, yeah, that's a face safe assumption. Now, I'm not saying I recommend going, but I'm the wrong guy to ask. I haven't, you know, that's, I've been, why, that's why I wanted to ask. <laughs> I live in a bubble. I've been living in a bubble since March. I, I you know, so I, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. But now we got UCF. The reason you bring all this up is because we have UCF players in it. 
lots of them, and, uh, and I'm trying to work out to get a full list of where where they, every player is. Like like I said, they're spread around three different leagues right now. There's the Coastal Plain League, which I believe is in the uh, the Carolinas, and the Northwoods Northwoods League. Um, and so I'm trying to find out exactly who is where. Then I will. Um, Don't, and I, I will also warn you, Merv. Uh, some of those parks, because I've been to most of those, not the most. How should I say this? The most friendliest, as far as uh, in accessibility. Thank you. Yes, you said it. Yeah, yes. I would know because I was covering an NCAA tournament game at yes. Melting at Melting Field a couple of years ago, and I got stuck in the elevator. Yeah, I, I missed the press. <laughs> I'm sorry, Murph. I don't mean to be laughing at your misfortune, but oh, God. <laughs> I got stuck in it. It was yes. hot in there. Um. Anyway, if you want to watch some college base, some summer college baseball. Uh, go up to to Deland or, or Leesburg or Sanford and and buy a really cheap ticket and and I know it's a strongly encouraged but just wear a mask it ain't that hard. Yes, please yeah. wear not a freaking mask. Areas, um, not the most media area. I remember for the championship, uh, we the the broadcasters for the two teams of the summer league that broadcasted literally did it next to the dugouts at Tropicana Field. Yeah, because <laughs> we have no access to the press box. So, that, which for me, I didn't care. I was in the stands, but for the broadcasters, that was an interesting setup uh, to do it. But so, yeah, that's my only warning to you, Merv. Yeah, put it to this oh. way: you'll probably appreciate the John Juliano Park setup more and more. I'll just, war- <laughs> I'll just say, leave it. I mean, I, if I go, uh, if I go to any of these places, I would go to Melting Fields because I know what that's like, and I've been there a lot. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll go. I mean, look. It's it, literally this is starting on Monday and it runs through August and baseball MLB baseball still has a month to go and we've got breakouts. My, uh, my over counter the place. to you on this, my counter is get your rest now because once Major League Baseball comes back and then you got the KBO, it's wall to wall baseball action. You're not going to be able to sleep. You're going to be up at five in the morning. You're going to be going from seven o'clock night games all the way to five a.m. Remember you got the West Coast games at ten. I mean. You're yeah, not gonna know I, what hour you're I, in. I, you know what yeah. though? The counter to that is for, personally for this is just me personally. Uh, I actually won't be able to watch a whole lot of baseball in July because I'm actually gonna cover the Orlando Storm of the World Team Tennis. <laughs> All right, now we're talking. So that's and they're playing in West Virginia, and so because those matches are going on all day, that's in July, like July 12th through August 2nd. So at least for the first 10 days of the of the MLB season. I will really be focusing on tennis. That's where that's where my mind will be. Oh, wait, at. so you, wait, so you're going up to West Virginia to cover that? No, 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 no. I'm riding from afar. Ah, I see. Okay. About, they, about they will about, be in West Virginia. You will not. I will not be at the Greenbrier. I will not be at the Greenbrier. It looks like a lovely campus. Uh, I will not be there, but they, I will be riding. They wouldn't have that at the USTA tennis complex, huh? That's a. Bummer. I know. Well, it would be nice, but apparently Florida's <laughs> not a great place to congregate right now. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. All right. Well, I know that things are. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing up because I know things are kind of getting crazy. But we do encourage uh, you and everyone else, for the protection of everyone else around you. Take one for the team. Wear a freaking mask, people. Come on, football season's at stake. <laughs> not to mention, you know, lives and stuff. Um, <laughs> we want just, sports in the fall, you people. That's, we want we, we we all want to be alive and healthy and have sports in the fall. It's a little thing that you can do. Is it an inconvenience? Yes, it is. In the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal. Just do it. All right. Um, it's not that much of an inconvenience. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Unless it's, you have like unless you have like asthma 
It's unless you have asthma, I get it. But otherwise, it's not that hard of an it's not an inconvenience. Like your face is sweaty. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, try wear, try having a beard. Like my face is sweaty all the time. And if you go to our site right now, there's a cool spot where you can get masks if you need exactly. one. Exactly. Like I exactly. If you want one, we have one up there. Uh, we have one up there. Obviously, there's ethical uh, there's ethical things up there. But hey, look, we got a link up there. If you want to get if you want to get a UCF mask, it's up there on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Don't forget to follow us at UCF underscore Bannerhead on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Follow us each individually. Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, Spokes underscore Murphy. Thanks again to all of our staff. Thanks again to you for listening. And don't forget, this week, people, send us the questions. UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter uh, once again. We'll get last optimistic uh, Brian or pessimistic Brian these questions. Oh, great. Yes. No, we're not. Well, we're not allowing. We're not allowing pessimistic Eric because I swear to God, we're going to straight jacket you. It's going to be. We have to get to that. Eric. Eric is nihilism, Eric. It's nihilist Eric. Yes, we're going to. We're going to have the bobblehead dolls by next week. All right. Um, Thanks again for listening. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Uh, Stay safe out there. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.